find pleasure and you exploit all your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for man to afflict his soul. Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? And then God says this, listen, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you may break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, that you not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and you satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. Verse 9 the Lord, verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. And then in verse 13, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath the delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and I will feed you on the heritage of Jacob, your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Father, um, this is a tough text. It is a challenging word. It is not for the weak of heart or for the casual Christian, but it's a call for us to be the people of God as you have destined and determined that we should be. Lord, I pray this morning, um, first of all, for your anointing. I ask God that you would help me to speak not a single word of my own, but to speak only that which comes from you. I ask, Lord, that you would anoint me not because I have in me merits that deserve it or I've worked enough to earn it. Neither are true, but I need it today. Help me to communicate your word with that anointing. And I pray, Lord, that um, you would supernaturally captivate the heart and mind and spirit and attention of everyone in this room for these next few minutes. I pray, Lord, that even though this text that, that seems almost uh, antiquated to us would speak life to us today, 
that you would challenge us as the people of God and that we would see a world like we have never seen a lost and broken world before. I ask God for conviction in my life. I know you have convicted me even as I've prepared this. And I recognize I don't live up fully to even the words that I will preach today, but I pray, God, that you will help me too reach that point and that you would help each of us to do the same. Speak to our hearts today. Challenge our thinking. Convict our hearts and make us more like you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to move rather quickly. Um, I'm going to move rather quickly through the introduction this morning. Uh, it's just a quick review of what we talked about last week. But we're concluding just a simple little, I don't know how simple it is, but a small, short, little brief uh, two-part message on fasting. I mentioned last week that fasting is not something that we talk a lot about. I know that I've not preached a lot about it. I know that I've heard very few sermons on it myself, but it is a crucial part or should be a crucial part of the discipline of every Christ follower. Let me just very quickly review, and I'm going to move through this very rapidly. Uh, number one, we learned or we reminded ourselves that fasting is simply to voluntarily reduce the intake or eliminate the intake of food for a specific time or purpose. Secondly, we talked about multiple ways that we can participate. You can fast for a week, you can fast a meal a day, you can fast for a day or three days. There are multiple ways to enjoin fasting. I also reminded you, as we always do, that we will fast for 21 days uh, at the, in the early part of 2022 and even encourage you to fast a day or three days or however you'd like in preparation for our Kingdom Builders emphasis as we ask God to speak specifically to our hearts. We learned that Jesus expected those who followed him to fast after he left. He said, I wouldn't expect you to fast while I'm still here, but when I leave, um, I would expect you to because no one mourns when the bridegroom is still here, but when the bridegroom is gone, I would expect them to fast. And so he taught us that uh, he expected followers of his to fast. We, we learned also that fasting may be a way that some victories might be won against the enemy. Remember that Jesus said when his disciples could not uh, exercise the demon from the little boy at the bottom of the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus said there are some, this kind, come out only by prayer and fasting. We talked about many other reasons to fast, to strengthen our prayer life, to seek guidance, to know God's will, uh, and we mentioned many others as well. And then we, we kind of ended the uh, preview, I guess, if you would, by saying that, that fasting is an important discipline for us. But if we have the wrong heart when we're fasting, it's meaningless. And that's really the focus of our attention last week and today. What should our hearts look like when we are fasting for three days or for a meal a day for a week or we're fasting for 21 days? Because if we're going to do that, we want it to be effective. We want our hearts to be pleasing to God. Let me remind you the context of Isaiah 58. The exiles had returned from Babylon after 70 years in bondage as slaves in Babylon. But after getting there, it didn't take long. They started falling back into their old formal ritualistic routines, going through motions, not really having hearts that were turned toward God. 
And so God uses the prophet Isaiah and he speaks to him and says to Isaiah, I want you to rebuke the people. I want you to cry aloud. Don't hold anything back. That's what spare not means. Don't, don't hold anything back. Let your voice sound like a trumpet, Isaiah, and tell my people how they have sinned. Tell them that they seek me daily and they say that they want to know my ways. As a nation, they act like a nation that did righteousness. They ask of me how to be just. They take delight, they say, in approaching me. But then they ask this question, God, why are we wasting our time fasting and you're not seeing? Why have we afflicted our souls? Why have we put ourselves through the ringer fasting and it seems like you don't even take notice? That's what God said to say to Isaiah. Isaiah, I want you to rebuke them because they're asking this question, God, why aren't you hearing us while we pray and fast? Look at us, look how spiritual we are. Look at all the things we're doing right and you're not even listening. And God said to Isaiah, I want you to rebuke them because the problem is they have chosen a fasting means, a fasting heart that is not the heart that I want them to fast with. In verse six, God says through the prophet, is this not the fast I have chosen? Let me tell you, God said, what the fast is that I have chosen for my people. There are four principles to that fast. I shared two of them with you last week. First of all, we learned this. Fasting that pleases God is not temporary spirituality that's designed to cover up our life of sin. But rather, fasting that pleases God is when we fast to really attack our sin, to really deal with the sin of our own heart to get rid of the ungodliness and the ugliness of ourself, that's fasting that has value. Secondly, we learn that fasting that pleases God is not works, we're just doing works to get reward. God, look at me fasting. Now that I fasted for a week, shouldn't you reward me with something? That's not the fasting that pleases God, but faith that responds in obedience. The Jews, we reminded you, were acting like the Canaanites with their gods. They thought if they fasted, their God would do something. The Canaanites thought the, holler, the, the louder we holler, the more we cut ourselves, the more we show ourselves pious, the more our God will respond. And that's how the Jews were acting. God said fasting is not doing works to get reward. Fasting is faith that responds to God in obedience. And I shared with you this quote from J. Alec Motyer, the essence of Christian fasting is not doing things to influence the Lord, not trying to get his attention, but doing things to obey the Lord. It's not about getting God to work for us, it's about us obeying him. And then I ended with this old English proverb, the ship that will not obey the helm will have to obey the rocks. If we don't listen to God, if we don't obey his word, we will find ourselves crashing against challenge after challenge, difficulty after difficulty, because our heart is not walking in obedience to him. Let me share with you two more principles today. Um, and these are, I, I acknowledge, these are rather heavy. These are challenging. Um, I hope that's okay. It's God's word, and that's what I'm commissioned to preach. So. Uh, like it or not, we're going we're gonna to hear what God has to say, uh, and I know that you will like it uh, because you love God's Word. Number one, fasting that pleases God is not an attempt to get heaven to hear us, but rather a willingness to have the injustice of earth seize us. 
That's something I've never preached, and I'm guessing maybe many of us have never heard, but let me read it again. Fasting, go go back to that screen, let me read that again. Fasting that pleases God is not an attempt to get heaven to hear us. Oh, God, hear us. But fasting that pleases God is a willingness to have our heart seized by the brokenness, the pain, the suffering, the injustice of earth. Listen to what God says in verse 6 and 7, Isaiah 58, 6 and 7. Is not this the fast that I've chosen? Here's what I really want, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, that you bring, your house, bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked, that you cover them and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Now, let me just precede um, the next 25 minutes with this um, little notion. I'm going to challenge your thinking. It's challenged mine. Um, But I want my life, regardless of my preconceived notions and ideas, I want my life to line up with the Word of God. How many want your life to line up with the Word? And so, so we need to hear what God has to say. Fasting for Judah, Israel had devolved to the point that the people of God were fasting simply to manipulate God, to get from God what they wanted so that God would do something for them. If they needed God to do something, we'll fast a week and we'll expect God to do it. That's how it had devolved, just to do something to get something. Fasting is one of the ways that we still find ourselves doing that. We've allowed ourselves to believe that that's how God operates. That when we do something, then God responds. We say that we believe we are saved by grace through faith, but somehow we have believed that after that, everything is on our own. And the more we work, the more God does something for us. We've come to believe that church attendance, which I am a fan of, by the way, um, daily devotions, prayer, tithing and so on have become means by which we can wring a blessing out of God. If I tithe, I can wring a blessing out of him. If I do my daily devotions, he'll be so proud of me and I can wring a blessing out of him. We should do all of those things, but as an act of obedience, not to try to get God to move on my behalf. In many cases, our worship has devolved into this idolatry When we do this, we say, God, look at us. Now you are bound to perform like the Canaanite gods did because we've done this. You now, God, are bound to perform on our behalf. Now, I don't want to offend anyone, and I I don't think that I will when I make mention of this. Several years ago, there was, um, I think it was Rich Wilkinson, not Wilkerson, but Wilkinson, Bruce Wilkinson, that wrote the little book, The Prayer of Jabez. You remember The Prayer of Jabez? I think we have it on the screen. That may be the next screen. Yes, now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me. Here's his prayer indeed. And enlarge my territory and that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. And of course, kind of the theme of uh, Bruce Wilkinson was that, that if we pray this prayer, or because Jabez prayed this prayer, 
and pray, God, enlarge my borders, that if we pray that prayer, God is bound to do that for us. And it became, and I'm not saying that that was the intention of Bruce Wilkinson when he wrote it, but it became for many believers, and, and, and all of us at times have been caught up in things like that. So this is not a rebuke. This is just a reminder of how careful we need to be about our theology. But for many, it became, this is my way to pull the strings of my marionette God. If I pray just this prayer, if I pray just this formula, then God is bound because he's just like a Canaanite God that is bound when I pray or when I fast, he is bound to do a specific thing for me. You've heard me talk often about, and I say it unashamedly, the hyper-faith, word of faith movement was notorious for this. That God somehow exists to respond to us and everything was about principles that taught us how to move God's hand. If you can just learn this, you can move God's hand this way. If you can just get this prayer down, you can turn God this way, and God will then start working for you. Look at me for just a moment. God did not create us so he could work for us. He created us so that we could serve him. Say amen if you believe that. But we have bought into that theology and we've done that often with fasting. That's what Judah was doing. Such a far cry from what God had called his people to do. He said, here's the fast I want. I want you to loose the bonds of wickedness. I want you to undo heavy burdens. I want you to break the yoke of those who are oppressed so that they can go free. I want you to share your bread with the hungry. I want you to bring the poor into your house. I want you to clothe the naked. That's the fast that I'm looking for. The 21st century American church thinks the fast that God is looking for is for us to pull his strings a little bit more and get a little bit more wealth and get a little bit more blessing. I get a little bit more for us. That's what Judah was doing. And God said, I'm kind of tired of that. This is the fast that I want. I want your heart to be seized by the brokenness of the world. I don't want you to see me as a little puppet that will respond to your every whim. I want your heart to be gripped by the brokenness around you. Somebody say amen if you believe that. Is that not the heart of Jesus? Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4. He came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up as his custom was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendants and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's the heart of Jesus. What about Matthew chapter 25? Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is Jesus speaking. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when in the world did we see you hungry and feed you? When in the world did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say, truly I say to you, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. I wrote this, but I, 
I uh, wanted to put it on the screen because I wanted to sink in. And for those of you who get the notes, I wanted you to see it. We need the injustice of the earth to grip our hearts again. Can I, we just stop for a moment? How many believe that? We need the injustice of the earth to grip our hearts again. We need to see the hungry, the hurting, and the disenfranchised, and we need to be moved. We have hidden in our cocoon of abundant life. And we have left the hurting to the world, making the care of the poor, the immigrant, and the marginalized the problems of politics instead of the mission of Jesus. This is the fast that Jesus has chosen. Somebody say amen if you believe that. I'm glad that nine of you agree with me this morning. It was up from last week's seven, so we are making great improvement. Is the need too overwhelming? It's pretty overwhelming. When faced with the question about how she could hope to make an impact on Calcutta's 3,000 slums with refugees pouring in daily, Mother Teresa said, I don't think the way you think. I do not add up. I only subtract from the total dying. In other words, if I save one, I've subtracted one from those dying. If I save 10, if I feed 15 hungry, no, I haven't fed the world, but I have fed 15 that are hungry. This is the fast that Jesus has chosen. Warren Wearsby said true fasting will lead to humility before God and ministry to others. We deprive ourselves in fasting so that we might share with others, and we do so to the glory of God. If we fast in order to get something for ourselves from God, instead of to become better people for the sake of others, we have missed the meaning of worship. It delights the Lord when we delight in the Lord. There's a powerful truth in verse number 7 of Isaiah 58 God says through Isaiah, is it not to share your bread? This is the fast I've chosen. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. When you see the naked, that you cover him. And look at this. And that you not hide yourself from your own flesh. Your own flesh. What's he talking about? Who is that? It's our brother and our sister in Christ. It's our brother and sister that was created in the Abago day. They are our own flesh. The hungry are our own flesh. The disenfranchised, the kicked out, the left out, the unwanted, that is our own flesh. And God says the fast that I've chosen is that you not hide yourself from those, but that you engage them. We too often fast thinking we can get heaven to hear us instead of having the hurt, pain, and injustice of earth seize us. Maybe instead of a week of fasting where we try to get God to hear us and do something for us, we should spend a week of fasting saying, God, break my heart for the lost and the broken, the disenfranchised, the hungry, and the poor. The American church did that, we could overturn some of the political 
ridiculousness that's going on because we would take on the responsibility ultimately that God has called us to. Amen, Pastor Kevin. That's true. Let, we must not turn away. Let me just share with you this story quickly. In his book, When a Nation Forgets God, Erwin Lutzer retells one Christian story of living in Hitler's Germany. The man wrote, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what could we do anyway to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we could hear the whistle in the distance and the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in those cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to a death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming. When we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. Years have passed and no one talks about it anymore, but I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians yet did nothing to intervene. Wonder how many times we gather on Sunday morning inside our church and we sing loudly and we preach loudly and we clap loudly so that we don't have to hear the sound of a broken world, a hungry world, a disenfranchised world that needs Jesus. God help us that we don't think fasting is just to get God to hear us, but that we recognize that God wants our hearts to be seized by the brokenness of the world. How many believe that to be true this morning? Let me give you the second point. It won't be long. Fasting that pleases God is not merely the giving of our stuff to the broken, but it's a commitment to abandoning our hearts to God. It's more than just feeding the poor and caring for the disenfranchised. That's important. But that can be done and sadly is being done by those who don't even know Christ. They're jumping in when we're not doing it. So it's not just that. Listen to these words, Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day and you call the Sabbath the delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor him not doing your own ways nor finding your own pleasure nor speaking for your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's interesting that God uses both the fast and the feast, the Sabbath, as, as examples of Judah's sinful ways they had used the Sabbath for their own good, just like they had fasting. God was calling them not to do as they pleased, but to do as he pleased. It was not fasting nor Sabbath keeping was not meant to be a burden, but it was a way to know the heart of God better, to enjoy God, to delight oneself in the Lord. Fasting is a way in which we can get to know the heart of God. 
to love him better. So that when I love him better, there are two commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if I love him better, I will love my neighbor better as well. That's why fasting is not just giving our stuff. That's important. But fasting is having our heart captivated by God and changed by him. Bill Bright said fasting reduces the power of self so that the Holy Spirit can do a more intense work within us. Fasting has become a way. Why don't you stand with me if you would? I'm going to wind this down pretty quickly. Don't leave yet. Just stand. I'm sure none of you were thinking about escaping anyway, so... Fasting has become a way that we get God to work for us, to get more for ourselves, to get our prayers answered, to get our needs met. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. I've used it for that. I fasted that way before. And, and please understand that, that there are places in Scripture where we fast and pray for divine guidance. I'm not... I'm not eliminating the need to fast for other reasons as well. But I'm saying all of that, all of that stuff, if it's not about having our heart changed, it means nothing. It means nothing. God does things for us because he is a good God. Because he gives us things out of his grace and his abundance. One cannot read Isaiah 58 and not be convicted, not if you're really a believer. Can I just read these words to you one more time? Look, is it a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Let me add to that and look pitiful and sad because I fasted. Would you call this a fast and acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the fast I've chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. And that you break every yoke. Is not the fast that I've chosen to share your bread with the hungry. Bring to the house the poor who are cast out. When you see the naked, cover them. And don't hide your own flesh, the Imago Dei, others created in God's image. Don't hide them. Don't say, I I'm going to sing louder so I don't have to hear their cry. Don't do that, God said. That's not the fast that I've chosen. If we do that, there are incredible blessings. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry. He will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness. Your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. He'll satisfy your soul in the drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. We call the 
repair the breach, the restore of the streets to dwell in. So look at the blessings. If we really fast right, darkness becomes light. Instead of gloom and depression, like darkness becomes light. Secondly, God's presence surrounds us. His glory becomes our rear guard. Thirdly, we call it, he answers. Number four, the Lord guides us. He satisfies us. He strengthens us. And number five, God will use us to fix that which is broken. Those are some pretty incredible blessings. If we fast the fast that God has chosen, not to try to get God to hear us, but to have our hearts gripped by a broken world, a lost world, a disenfranchised world, a world that thinks we don't love them because all we do is tell them how bad they are. If God grips our hearts in fasting for them, he promises to bless us. Our darkness lights, his presence around us, we call the answers. Guides, satisfies, strengthens, uses us to fix that which is broken. Let me close with this story and then we'll be done. It's in the middle of the third century. There's a Christian leader in the church named Lawrence. He served as the deacon of the church of Rome. According to the tradition, Lawrence was in charge not only of holy things like the communion chalices, and the candlesticks, but he also oversaw the church's treasury and what we would call the benevolence fund. That was Lawrence's job. In Lawrence's day, public opinion had turned against the church, followers of Christ. And one day the prefect of the city asked Lawrence to gather up and give him the wealth of the church. Lawrence sent back a message to the city prefect, I do not deny that our church is rich and that no one in the world is richer, not even the emperor. I will bring all the precious things that belong to Christ. If only you will give me a little time to gather everything together. The prefect agreed as he dreamed of what he could do with all the gold and the silver, all the riches that Lawrence would bring. For three days, Lawrence ran about the city. He collected the church's treasures, but they were not the sorts of treasures that the greedy prefect was dreaming of. Instead, Lawrence walked through all the valleys or the alleys and all the squares of Rome and gathered the church's real treasure, the poor, the disabled, the blind, the homeless, the lepers. The people he gathered into the church included a man with two eyeless sockets, a disabled man with a broken knee, a one-legged man, a person with one leg shorter than the other, and others with grave infirmities. He wrote down their names and he lined them up at the entrance to the church. Only then did he seek out the prefect to bring him to the church, and he said to him, these are the treasures of the church of Christ. As he presented the ragged crowd to the astonished prefect. Their bodies may not be beautiful, but within these jars of clay, they bear all the treasure of divine grace. That's you and me, broken, 
if not for the grace of God, without, disenfranchised, crippled. And yet, we have this treasure in this jar of clay. You're a jar of clay, I'm a jar of clay. And people outside of this building that God wants our heart to be moved for are jars of clay created in the Imago day that simply need to know about the treasure and the person of Jesus Christ. May our fast be the one that God has chosen not to get heaven to move for us, but to be seized by the brokenness of earth and by the heart of our God. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, that um, you have invited us to share your heart. We acknowledge that we have been corrupted at times by a theology that is made out of abundance, a theology that has formed out of experience outside of the Word of God. We have been shaped by a theology of selfishness. And I acknowledge that I have. Paul said, I count all of those things as nothing, rubbish, if I can just win the heart of Christ. And I pray that we would all pray that same thing. God, help us to win your heart. When we fast, whether it's for a day, a week, for 21 days, whether it's for three days, whether it's a meal a day, may we fast not to move your hand, but may we fast to hear your heart and to know your heart and to be the people of God you've called us to be. With your heads bowed for just a moment this morning, I want to ask, is there anyone here who's never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life? You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never said, I know that Jesus died for me and I want to receive him into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I don't want to live another day without him. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone in this room just by an upraised hand that would say, would you pray for me? I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Anyone in this place, anyone in this room, anyone in this place, with your head still bowed, let me ask you a second question. Nobody looking around. How many would say, the Holy Spirit is nudging my heart today. The Holy Spirit is saying to me, you have sought me for your own purposes. Now I want you to seek me so that you can know me and have my heart. How many would raise your hand with me and say that that's really the desire of my heart? Can we worship him together today?